solo, 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 solo. Hace el recorte, tiene la marca, sigue, cambia perfiles, te pega de zona, golazo. Venga la pelota, así, para donde Viñas la baja, Jova, ¡uy! ¡Qué duro choque! ¡Qué duro golpe! El árbitro central, ¿qué va a hacer? ¿Qué va a hacer? Porque el choque fue durísimo sobre Giovanni, ¡durísimo! Abrieron a Giovanni, que se está quejando de manera increíble, ¡por favor! ¡Por favor! La abierta que tiene Giovanni Dos Santos es... Inconsistent podcast on the planet. You already know what it is, man. The FMF State of Mind podcast. We're back after, man. How long has it been since we done one of these guys? Since uh, Cruz class won a game, I think. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's bad. That's bad. That looks bad on us. That's got to be a record. Anyway, we're back here to talk about a bunch of stuff. The Mexico game last night. The Clásicos this past weekend. We'll get into all that later. I'm hosting it, Antonio Tinejero, right here. We got two other guys on the panel with us. Introduce yourself, guys. All right, Nestor. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> uh, Rafael, I run FMF State of Mind. Uh, usually you can find me ranting on Twitter, so it's good to be back. And I'm Ness. Usually you can catch me ranting on Twitter as well. And if I'm not on FMF State of Mind, I'm on Viva Liga MX. And if I'm not there, I'm at Soccer Nerds. There we go. There we go. And we're going to kick things off, obviously, with the game last night. Mexico, Trinidad, and, Tab- and Tobago. 2-0 uh, win for Mexico. Uh, it was a new squad. It was the first time most of those guys have been playing with each other. Uh, it was a new squad. It's interesting to see a lot of those guys play under Tata Martino for the first time. And it was also interesting to see that was the first game that was like Tata Martino's debut on Mexican soil, which is weird because he's been in charge for a long time. But that was his first game in Mexico, which is just wild. But anyway, 2-0 victory for Mexico. Uh, some standout players. Ness, who stood out to you the most? I feel like Macias. And as a Chivas supporter right now, unfortunately, uh, it's some, somebody that you look at and he was aggressive with the ball and he was trying to make moves. And whenever he didn't do what he wanted to do, you saw him get frustrated. And that's something that you want to see is somebody that you want up front, not being passive, being aggressive. And he could have easily just handed it off to the right when somebody was coming in to try to make a play and cut in. But he didn't. He found a little bit of room, got inside the box and then took a nice shot, the right bottom post. And that's something that you want to see. You know, you, you have to start wondering if who's going to be the next striker coming forward for Mexico. We had Ro Jimenez and the great season he had last season. And we got Chicharito that's still playing well in Europe, just secured his move to Sevilla and just scored in the Europa League. But, you know, you got Macias that's playing amazingly with Leon and somebody that as a Chivas fan, I'd like to have on a Chivas team right now. But we, we, we dropped the ball with him. 
But somebody as aggressive as him, yes, are thinking, you know, is he going to get a shot at the next World Cup or who who the next person will be? But Yeah, I saw the commentator talk a lot about because you, you did see him. He had multiple chances where multiple opportunities where he could have, you know, easily gotten that assist pass to any one of his the guys that were open on the wings or anything like that. But, you know, you saw him. He had that kind of mentality. Almost, I don't want to say selfish, but like I can't think of another word for it right now. But like he wanted to score. You know, you could see it from from minute one. So, um, so you think that that's a positive trait for him to have? That's a huge trait for him to have. You know, all the jokes that you really saw on Twitter when Mexico was playing through the through the Gold Cup with Raúl Jiménez and how, you know, he was being real passive. He wasn't really being aggressive. He was looking to kind of set somebody else up and kind of playing the number nine position. It's like uh, Macias is somebody you know that can come in and he's gonna take the shots that he wants to take his teammates might not always agree with it but he's looking forward to put them in the best position and you know that's something refreshing and nice that you want to do have up there because a lot of times mexico will find themselves in a final final third and they won't know what to do so just kind of pass back and just kind of look for an opening somewhere but for a team that majority of time has a lot of possession somebody up there that that can not only counterattack as he does on leon but just help moving forward and just try to get a clear target on on, on the actual goal. It it makes a huge difference. I mean, he's been working out for him in Leon so far. <clears throat> in Leon, excuse me. I think last season he was the uh, the Mexican player with the most goals. I forgot how many he had right now. And then you know this season, same story. He's just been killing it. Um, and he's only nineteen, right? Or is he twenty now? I think he's I think he's 20, but he acts 19. <laughs> but no, he's uh, he, he 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 is getting older and maturing and those comments that he first had kind of the spitefulness he had last season was kind of a breath of fresh air from Chivas because it was somebody that wanted to play for Chivas but didn't really get the opportunity yeah, yeah. and you know as much as we wanted to justify it as Chivas Hermanos well I, I did as a Chivas Hermano it was a uh, it was something that at the end of the day we're like yeah we dropped the ball with that no question definitely did Rafa how about you man what are some standout players from last night well I have to agree here with uh JJ Macias uh there is there isn't really anybody else that that particularly stood out for me. Maybe Sebastián Córdoba a bit in between lines. He he was moving around. Uh, Cristian Calderón like down the down the left flank. He he caused some damage. Obviously, Mosso got forward quite a lot. Uh, but at the end of the day, this this is Jose Juan Macias's team. Uh, I think if you analyze JJ Macias's career with the youth national teams. Uh, the focus was always on him, and I think going forward, when we talk about uh, a large bulk of these players being part of, of the next call-up uh, uh, for the Mexico national team, which should come out soon, uh, as well as the U23 team that's going to play the the Olympic qualifiers, I think the focus is going to be on him. I, I, I personally, I, I thought he did look a little selfish yesterday, but he, he's a really good player. He's, he's a really, really good player. Uh, I get a, a bit of... Uh, Chicharito vibes in the way he moves around. Uh, I think when Chicharito was barely starting off, he had sort of that tendency to move out on the wings and, you know, create spaces for his teammates and and stuff like that. I, I think Macias has that down, uh, but like you said, he, he sort of has that scoring instinct as well uh, that Chicharito has. Physically, I think he, he has the potential to be a little better, a little better than Chicharito, I should say. Uh, but he is just overall he he's a massive talent he he's a massive prospect for mexican football and i think it, it, 
It's good that, that there were rumors ahead of the game that Real Betis scouts were there and then all these other teams were are keeping their, their eye on him. I think it'll be interesting just to see if he makes a move now that his I think his contract is up at, at the end of the season and uh, I don't know if Leon is going to pay the the buyout clause. I, I don't know. You guys are the Chivas fans here, so you guys might know a little bit better about that. Uh, but it, I think all all point signs that he seems very ready to to already go to Europe. I mean, when you hear him talk, his mentality is just uh, way beyond his age. And, and I don't know. It, it's interesting. It, it was fun. Uh, uh, like I said, uh, I hope this was the first of many goals we'll see from him. Yeah, no. I agree with you when you said this is this is basically um, his team. He is the star when it comes to this team, this age group. And um, you know, like you said, it, it is it is really cool to see a player, to see a Mexican player, a striker mostly, have all this talk. You know, we've heard him in interviews and how he talks and how ambitious he is, but also back that up with you know he's had two amazing seasons with Leon. You know, goals on goals. He's I think they were talking about in the during the commentary yesterday he was he's the mexican player with the most goals um before the age of 20 i think he was like that's past hugo sanchez past chicharito past you know raul jimenez so i'm sure i think he didn't have any before the age of 20 so like starting young and he already has so much promise and then yeah apparently real betty scouts were at the game last night uh i saw on twitter that borussia dortmund and one of their little series that they have that they were looking you know they were watching a leon game looking at him so really interesting to see what is going to happen with his situation if he's going to be the next one to move to europe but yeah definitely jose juan macias was definitely the standout player for me as well uh last night as, as well as a few others but you know he scored the first goal he was he was active all around so i think so what about like some disappoint well there wasn't really a disappointing player i don't think in the whole mexico squad but maybe disappointments in terms of who you would have liked to see more. What about that, Ness? We'll start with you. Uh, just players on the wings. Just as a, I'm not sure how to pronounce the name. It starts with the Y, Rizar. Oh yeah, uh, yeah just get at I felt like I felt like whenever I saw him, he just he felt nervous. He felt nervous with the ball, and I felt like he like he he didn't know where to go or, who, or really where to position himself. You know, he wouldn't really be playing any one twos with anybody up front, and if he did, he would kind of get away. Whenever he got the ball, he would hesitate and just try to cross it in from the right angle. And you know, he provided a couple of good opportunities for Macias, but at the end of the day, it's something where I wanted to see him thrive a little bit more on the wing. And he is he is a young up and player for the Mexico youth team where. It's one of the places on the on, on the wings that we don't have the much depth and players as he said are getting chances where usually players like that wouldn't and you know as far as the older age groups we got they got Tito we have you know well and actually in the same same group we actually have Antuna which is somebody that I'd like to see paired up with Macias up front and I think that would make a pretty good partnership not as a striker but as him playing right wing or left wing or just kind of assisting the way you saw him assist Raul Jimenez but I just I just wish he would have been a little bit more aggressive and you know you saw Macias get real comfortable real quick and he thought it was just he, he felt like he just kind of backed in the backdrop where on his actual team that he plays with he he would have just taken a little bit more control and he's relied on more there than he is obviously on the national team so i felt like he might have taken a, a step back or so but i just wanted to see him be a little bit more aggressive and not only that but the midfield he had cordova which hasn't playing great for america and as a it's hard to say as a Chivas fan, but you know he he played great in the Clasico, which we will get to later. But you know 
not just any player scores two goals in a classico against Chivas. Well, I, I do understand the state that they're in, but still, that 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 is saying something for no, yeah. a young player like that. But I would have wanted to see him a little bit more aggressive in the box. I know Macias was being a little bit selfish, but you know, I felt like the midfield was just wasn't there at times. It was you know Macias driving them forward or just them throwing long balls. Yeah, with uh, with the player you mentioned first, Yudisar, I, you know, admittedly, I'm not a Queretaro fan or anything like that. No offense to anybody that, that goes for Queretaro. Maybe I haven't watched enough games, but I have not been convinced by him yet in terms of, like, at the national team level. He's been called up a lot. I've seen him in every call-up, you know, with um, the Olympic team that's going to be playing the the trials and everything. Um and I, I know it probably has a lot to do with, you know, Jimmy Lozano's running that team now, and he used to coach him at Querétaro. Um, but, you know, yeah, like you said, he just looked really, un- really just out of his depth last night. He just looked really kind of uncomfortable. And he just, I, I've not seen the reason why they keep calling him up yet. That's just me personally. But, uh, yeah, I agree with you on that. Uh, Rafa, what about you? I have to agree with you guys. I, I mean, personally, I don't think there there was anybody in particular that, that disappointed me, but just, uh, I guess maybe it wasn't what I, exp- I mean, there wasn't enough pedigree inside the box. Uh, like you said, maybe Macias was sort of taking over a bit. Um, obviously the scoreline should have been a, a little higher Two zero wasn't an accurate reflection of what went on the field. I think Mexico ended up with like 85% possession or something like that. It was crazy. I think it also lends, I mean, Basically, the, the situation of the game where Trinidad and Tobago didn't really put Mexico under pressure a lot. Uh, so there was sort of that, I guess, maybe overconfidence a bit. Um, also, the fact that these guys were just having their first experience with the senior Mexico national team and with a manager like Gerardo Tata Martino, uh, who, if we sort of analyze Martino's style of play, it's more uh, of this game in between lines, you know, the movement between players and stuff like that. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, I thought... Cordoba probably got it a little better just because he he sort of plays that role with America or has been playing that role with America under Miguel Herrera where he sort of saw Cordoba, you know, sometimes he he was doing really good job down the middle. Sometimes you saw him down the right wing. Sometimes you see him at the edge of the box. I think he sort of got that idea a, a little more than the other players. For other guys who were maybe not used to being around manager like Gerardo Tata Martino, I, I, I would understand a bit why they were maybe a little stagnant. Uh, they weren't doing enough, but overall, there, there wasn't anybody where I was like, "Well, this guy did really, really bad." Uh, I think at the end of the day, Mexico did what they had to do. Uh, they had possession of the ball. You, you weren't going to see somebody just, you know, rip the other team apart uh, just because it was just the kind of game you, you had in front of you. Uh, but like I said, I, I wasn't disappointed by anybody, to to be honest. What about disappointment in terms of was there anyone you you would have liked to see more or would have liked to see you know Tata put in? To be honest, like I think well that one's tough too because I would love to have seen Sebastian Jurado as goalkeeper and <clears throat> Gudino got the start, but at the same time, even if Jurado would have started, he, I mean, he would have hardly would have been put under pressure by Trinidad Tobago. Although Jurado I think was tired. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no, well, that's true. No, um, I think Gudino. I think he had a, a save, if I'm not mistaken, a really good save. But other than that, it was just a very quiet game. Even oh, on yeah, the no. defensive side of things, it, it was pretty quiet. Uh, but, I mean, looking at the team right now, uh, there, there wasn't anybody in particular that, that I would have wanted to see more of or would have just got more playing time. 
I can tell you now that there was one guy who who was omitted from this squad, and maybe he's going to be in the squad that will be announced. But uh, I think this team, this squad, would have been really nice to see uh, Victor Guzman get get the call, just because uh, he's a guy who's really good at going getting inside the box and scoring goals. Uh, he just sort of has that that instinct uh, uh, where he learned under Diego Alonso, and he sort of like perfected now at Pachuca these last few seasons. He would have been a really nice addition to this team. Uh, perhaps this is somebody that that you know Jimmy Lozano thinks about going forward if Mexico do qualify for the Olympics. That's one of the overage players. I think he's he's older than twenty three now. I'm not sure. Uh, I think he is. Yeah, but he is definitely somebody to, who I would have loved to have seen uh, with this team. Uh, and speaking of Querétaro, I, I I don't know. Like like you said, I, I don't really pay much attention to Querétaro, although they're having an okay season. Uh, but Marcel Reese is somebody who who sort of disappeared uh, a bit out of the radar. Who I think also would have, I mean, ideally in theory would have been a really nice part of this team. Uh, but overall, I mean, there wasn't somebody I really, really wanted to see. Yeah, Marcel Reese had uh, was it two seasons ago where he kind of broke out, or was it last season? I don't really remember. But yeah, he kind of he kind of broke out, but then he um, he's just kind of been dying down uh, since Jimmy Lozano kind of left. And um, or not Jimmy Lozano, Rafa Puente, and then yeah, it's interesting you see because I've seen a lot of people complain about about essentially what you just said, Victor Guzman not being included in any of the squads. I don't think he's been called up by Tata yet, and if he has, he definitely hasn't played. Um, he's been, I, he's you know one of my favorite players in the league actually. He's been tearing it up at Pachuca. You know, he's a former you know Chivas Academy graduate, so you know seeing him thrive in another team, obviously it kind of you know makes you think what could have been but he's been really good and he he before Macias came along I remember he was the Mexican player with like the most goals and stuff he went through kind of a really bad injury I forgot what it was but it was pretty serious but he came back and he's he's doing as good now as he was um so yeah what do you guys kind of think about that Ness what do you think about you know Bocho Guzman not really being included into any squad that Tata has made so far I think it's weird and Thank you, Rob, for bringing it up because that's something I actually didn't notice. And he's one of those players where you know he's in the league and he's doing real well, but he might fly under the radar. He's he's not one of the – he's still a young and up-and-coming player, but he's not somebody that just kind of got put on as far as a year ago that they want to see in a national team. At the same time, he's, not, he's still that player that hasn't moved on to Europe yet. So they're actually doing pretty well right now. His team, Pachuca, is. I know because they whooped on Chivas two weeks ago. Yeah. And uh, as far as all the offensive firepower they have with him, Edwin Cardona, Franco Jara, it's it, it's a scary front as far as, you know, to face, especially on the counter. And he's one of the reasons why they're that deadly on the attacking front. And it's a player that you do want to see. And, you know, on his day, he can go off for a hat trick if he really feels like it. He just got to kind of see if he's going to be there or not that day. And I don't know. He's one of the players that just really needs to find that move to Europe, whether it be a lowbrow team in England or whether it be in Spain or as long as it's not second division somewhere. I feel like he's a player that could thrive in probably the Netherlands, you know, somewhere to kind of help him ease into it as a as you know as a place that has for you know players as Tecatito when he was at FC20 and and you know Lozano when he was at age not Ajax but PSV apologies but it's just somebody that I want to see more of 
But, you know, as far as those forward spots, they are pretty limited, not only with this youth team, but, you know, as far as the older youth team and I mean, not the older youth team, but the senior national team. And you kind of just wonder what what team do you put him in? But I do think he's more on that senior team. So I wouldn't be surprised if he gets called up. Yeah, I mean, he's 24 now, so he's 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 getting to the point where he's not a prospect anymore. You know what I mean? He has to be an established player. Um, he's almost getting to the prime of his career. So, yeah, it's just been really, like you, like you said, Ness, it's just been really weird to not see him in those call-up sheets. He's a really, you know, kind of creative cam. He can, like you said, he can go off for a hat-trick any day, but he's he, he also has been known to rack up some assists. And I think he had a bigger national profile before, like I said, he got um, injured. And I, I don't remember exactly what the injury was. I don't know if it was an ACL tear or something like that, but it was... It was um, it was a pretty bad injury, and he was going to be included for the World Cup back, um, at least for the World Cup um, process back when Osorio was coach. But, you know, because of that injury, he kind of fell, fell off of that uh, short list. So I think after that, he that's when his profile kind of shrunk a little bit. So, you know, he, maybe he might have been in Europe already, maybe not. But, yeah, he's he's clearly one of the, the stars, not only in Pachuca but in the whole league. But for some reason, he just keeps... Um, getting snubbed a little bit but um but we'll see we'll see what happens in the future um as we mentioned the nation's league squad should be coming out it should have been it should have came out today so i'm pretty sure it's going to come out tomorrow morning um tata martino is going to be announcing who's going to be in that nation's league squad i I know that he mentioned that he said 12 or 13 players from last night's squad are going to be included as well as some europeans and those europeans kind of have already been confirmed they're going to be chucky lozano from Napoli, and Diego Lainez from Real Betis, uh, Hector Herrera from Atletico Madrid, and then Tecatito Corona from Porto. But Corona might not make it since he just, um, I think he picked up an injury um, this past weekend in league play. So he might not sure be Sure he did. No. <laughs> <laughs> did he? We don't know. I, he's been, I, he's I, been I, known. I think he did, but I'm just referring back to when Tata Martino called him up yeah. and he was calling FC Portals like whole like injury list like that. That's bullshit. <laughs> I remember that. That was that was. But yeah, thankfully he's crazy. back on the national team. I'm just I'm just glad he finally came back out to play. And you don't see players exiled like I initially thought they would be. We'll we'll see. We'll see if he comes back. We'll see if <clears throat> if his injury is not too severe. But all right. So what do you guys think of those? First of all, what do you guys think of those Europeans that I just named? Chucky, Linus, Hachache, maybe Tecatito being in the Nations League squad. What do you think about it, that? It feels nice when you mention the teams that they play for. I don't know why, but I still like hearing the, like, you know, stuff, certain things like that, especially with Hector playing for Atletico Madrid. And oh, yeah. Chucky confirmed, sure. like, you know, finally the move to Napoli when everybody was wondering where the hell he was going to go. And Tegatito's still doing good at Porto. He's the only Mexican left after having almost half a team full of Mexicans there already. <laughs> And uh, Line is obviously one of the young and up-and-coming people. And, you know, especially with, I think, did Fakir just get uh, injured a, a week or so ago? I forgot. I'm, I'm not I'm not too sure the, the France midfielder. But, I don't know, I feel like it's opening up more opportunities for him at Real Batiste. And I think he's somebody to look out for in La Liga this year. So, I'm, I'm excited. It, it, it's the Nations League. It's like... This shouldn't really be a thing, but it's a thing. It kind of undermines a couple of things that already exist. But at the end of the day, I guess it's more competitive play. So it's something that I like to get excited about. Rafa, what about you? Uh, well, I mean, I don't know. To to be honest, it's, it, it, like you said, it's it doesn't get me excited personally just because it, it's Bermuda. and Well, I mean, the Panama game is going to be a competitive at the very least. 
uh, I think the interesting thing here that 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 we're going to see is that uh, apart from the European guys you mentioned, uh, of course, Diego Lainez is probably the one I'm, I'm most excited about just because, uh, like you said, he, he's not getting, he hasn't been getting the playing time with, with Real Betis. And uh, I think this will be the first time he sort of gets, well, I mean, maybe he played in a tournament ago or I don't remember, but this will be the first time where he actually gets to play with with sort of guys his age or his or sort of the process he was supposed to be in with uh you know the JJ Macias's and uh the uh Cordobas and all those players who sure. were sort of his age uh so it'll be interesting to see hey, just what kind of chemistry they built uh but I think the for me outside of that my focus will be on these two players who actually play in Liga well actually one of them which does play in Europe and that's Nestor Araujo who, I mean, I hate to to remind you guys, but he, he was terrible against Argentina. He sort of cost Mexico three goals. He was uh, good against Atletico, though, in the yeah, league play. So, but my focus will be on him just because uh, I, I think it, it'll be interesting just to see how he sort of he reacts on his first game, assuming that he, he, he does get called, which uh, uh, I think if rumor has it, he will be part of this call-up. Uh, but just Tata Martino sort of giving him the confidence to come back and you just tell him, you know what, you you messed up in the last game against Argentina. It's okay. I'm giving you the vote of confidence. It's going to be you and Salcedo as probably the starting center backs against Panama uh, and just pick up the pieces from here, you know? Uh, like, to me, that, that that's sort of a big deal because when we talk about this last game against Trinidad and Tobago, uh, on paper, I think Mexico came out with four fullbacks as defenders. Uh, which yeah. sort of tells you of the depth that Mexico has on the defensive end. Uh, so Martino doesn't have a lot to work with here. So uh, the fact that he's giving Nestor Araujo the confidence to come back and and tell him, you know what, it's okay. Let's just start all over and let's do this. Uh, it's sort of a big sign. It sort of also speaks wonders of, of Martino, who, who I think he said after the game, you know, a bad game doesn't define a player just like a good player doesn't define a player either. So... For me, a lot of the focus will be there, uh, assuming that Araujo is part of the call-up. But like I said, other than that, it, it should be pretty straightforward games. And uh, like I said, I'm excited to see Lainez, just how he does with the, with these youngsters around him. Yeah, thanks for bringing up Araujo. I actually skipped over him, but he is he is expected to be called up. And yeah, like you said, it's good on Tata to do that, um, just to <clears throat> because it would have been worse if he hadn't called him up. You know what I mean? Because that 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 would that would have kind of just like shown how I, I don't know that would that would have just kind of hurt Araujo even more. Yeah. Um. So it, it's good that you know that 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 was <clears throat> was good in calling both him and, and Salcedo up if if that you know remains to be true. Um. And then yeah, like you said, it was weird uh, seeing the back line uh, last night. It was it was literally four fullbacks. It was Mosso on the right. Calderon on the left, and then in the middle it was Govea, who's usually a right back at Atlas, and then Jesus Angulo, who's a left back at Atlas. So it was, you know, and they had Johan Vasquez on the bench. They had like Luis Romo, I think, who are center backs. Um, so yeah, it was weird that they came out with like not a true center back, but yeah, like you said, that just shows that just goes to show the kind of lack of depth that they have there. So yeah, definitely, you know, Araujo. Uh, you know, I'll welcome him back with open arms. I know he had, he definitely had a terrible game, but you know, I know we all know that that's not how he, how he usually is. I mean, you know, before uh, the World Cup, everyone was hailing him as you know an amazing defender before he got injured. So, 
I'm excited. Yeah, I'm excited to see him if he'll come back uh, and every, everything like that. But uh, I think a lot of the, a lot of people, a lot of Mexico fans, just have you know, I I can't go on Twitter without finding somebody complaining about, oh, why is Mexico playing the Nations League? Why are we doing this? This is this is gonna kill you know our competitiveness. We shouldn't be playing these games. So so what what are you guys' thoughts on it? Nestor, I'll start with you. I think it's good because there's a lot of players that in the past, you know, in the 90s and early 2000s wouldn't really get looks, even though they're very consistent on a club level. And this is a competition where they can kind of go and kind of make a name for themselves. And you start seeing more players get called up and the depth of Mexico is just getting deeper and deeper. The, you know, the more time that actually goes on and the more competitions that are available. It's kind of like, I don't know, I kind of feel this is for Mexico what, cup games are for teams and usually for for mexicans ironically in europe it's like those are the competitions where they get starts and they get opportunities to be looked at and you know maybe from there they can make a a kind of kind of fighting statement for themselves to be considered on the senior team and uh, i I think it's good for players along those lines like they're trying to make case for themselves like a victor guzman which you know you want to see do a little bit more and, you know, he can go over there making a case for himself. And then next thing you know, he might be in the actual senior call-up with all, all the players that they want for starting 11. Rafa, what about you, man? What's your thoughts on this whole Nations League thing? Well, I get the criticism behind it because just the competitive level is not there. In theory, it's supposed to, the whole purpose of the thing is to sort of elevate the level of the other teams, which I get that argument. It, it sort of makes sense. But it's, it's hard. You can't really come up with much conclusions playing a team like Bermuda. I guess you can argue that the Panama game, again, is going to be more competitive. But I get the criticism. Uh, if you're Mexico and you're Tata Martino, I, I think sort of reserving half the squad for these youngsters sort of makes sense. Uh, just because uh, you, you can sort of divide the, the squad where you sort of play the more fringe players, the up-and-coming guys against Bermuda, and then you know, more veteran guys against Panama. Uh, so it makes sense. Overall, it, it, it's a small experiment by CONCACAF. Like, you can't argue against them trying something new, trying to sort of elevate the level of the other teams. For Mexico, I, I, I don't know if there's anything positive about it. Uh, in theory, you you like to see Mexico go up against, you know, teams like Germany, Italy, or whatever the case may be, the top countries in the world because that's what sort of Mexico needs to to reach the next level. But uh, evidently, CONCACAF thinks that these are the type of tournaments you need to elevate the, the level of the rest of the teams is, is what you need to do to sort of reach the next level if you're Mexico and the United States and Costa Rica or, or even Panama. Uh, it, again, it's, it's a small experiment. We'll see what happens. But from a fan perspective, I totally understand the criticism. I mean... Uh, we would all love to see Mexico take on Germany or Mexico take on Spain or whatever the case may be. But like I said, we'll, we'll see. Uh, it's, it's, I guess it's a matter of, uh, of just seeing how things shape up. You never know. There, there are teams like when we go back to the Gold Cup, for example, and we, we see a team like Haiti where you sort of see them uh, sort of compete. I, I mean, to this day, I think the team that, that best played Mexico or has best played Mexico during this whole Tata Martino era has been Haiti and, and Argentina. These are the two teams that, that put Mexico under most trouble. Uh, and you realize, well, you don't really think of Haiti as, as, as a major, you know, footballing power in North America. I mean, they're, they're really good, but uh, if 
maybe they get to play a team like Mexico more often or a team like the United States more often. I guess uh, the, there are there's reason to or, or sort of uh, I mean, I really don't know the economic prices behind, you know, the divisions are in CONCACAF Nations League. I mean, there's a division one or division two. I, I don't know how it is like, but I assume that they get some sort of uh, economic reward the higher you are up. So if you're a team like Haiti, just the, the amount of resources you can sort of spend on, you know, player development and just, you know, just the the fact that these players are are going up against Mexico, you never know. One might end up in Liga Amakis and that sort of brings a little bit more prestige to a national team. It, it's sort of important. Like, I get it. In theory, like, I sort of get what CONCACAF is trying to do. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's an experiment. And I, I understand both sides of, of the coin. I, I get the fans' perspective who want more. And I get CONCACAFs trying to sort of experiment, trying to elevate the level of the rest of the teams. Oh, yeah, definitely. This is... Uh, and I, I think it's like you said. It's a, it's an interesting move. It's a good move from Coca-Cola to want to elevate the rest of the teams. I think just as as a lover of soccer, and I think everybody that just you know likes to 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 see you know historic games and and you know, matchups and like surprises. I think you know what most people liked about the Gold Cup, even though it wasn't that great, you know, stylistically, it was seeing those storylines like Haiti, like Curacao. Like all those small countries, you know, showing up and, and and showing out against, you know, the top teams in the confederation. So from looking at it from that point of view, you know, this nation, this nation's league is exciting because you'll get to see more of that. And you'll get you'll you'll probably get to see a lot of those small teams grow. And I think, you know, as long as uh, Mexico, you know, now starts to focus on their friendlies being against more competitive teams, like I know. There's been rumors going around about Mexico playing the Netherlands in 2020. Um, there's been rumors about Mexico playing Spain and Dallas, you know, next summer. So I think those games are important to have, especially with, you know, now the Nations League coming up. As long as you still have those games, those games against top tier teams like X uh, World Cup champions and stuff like that. I think Mexico will, I, I think they'll be just fine as long as they keep um Having a little mixture of both, and like you said, um, you definitely get co- why Concacaf is doing this, but you also get the fans' perspective too, because they just want you know Mexico to compete against bigger teams and to be uh, you know the best that it can be, so it can reach the top. But we'll move on from the national team uh, talk for now. Uh, like we said, the Nations League squad should be coming out tomorrow, so we'll see what happens there, and we'll move on to what happened this past weekend in Liga MX, both Clásicos. First off, the Clásico Nacional, and man, what kind of a slaughter, wasn't it? America 4-1, was it, um, against Chivas? Uh, the biggest headline, obviously, was the Giovanni Dos Santos injury. Pollo Briseño just literally took a chunk out of his leg. Uh, so, oh, that yeah, was th- rough. That, it was just i've never seen anything like that in in my whole years of watching soccer but yeah it was it was clearly one of the most one-sided classicals i've ever seen probably so ness we'll start with you just what you think of the game as a whole and and you know talk about the injury a little bit and about and about uh, the suspension boy you saying you got four games suspended talk about that a little bit i, I want to start off by saying fake news <laughs> it was god man just the, the cherry on top of this season which is it feels like an episode of kirby enthusiasm or a bad episode of seinfeld <laughs> it's it's just something else um it's been a wild ride a lot of highs a lot of lows a, a lot of lows though, a lot of lows and 
it, it, it was a game that you saw America, I, I hate to admit, but, you know, kind of dominate in a lot of fashion. And, you know, you got Dena who, Dena, who ends up coming in and he gets, what, like two days lead time? And he's like, all right, good luck. And then you see him start off with the backfield of five. And, you know, as if you already already weren't feeling shaky, you're like, oh, God, like we already got five in a back. And then you don't even know how it's going to go. And America hasn't haven't, haven't been the hottest lately, which is, you know, the crazy part. But yeah. I feel like. This is a, you know, they've been tying a lot lately and, you know, they were holding on. I forgot where they were at, but they were, they were holding on to a fifth spot last I checked last week, but I know what the Clasico Nacional, they probably bumped them up now, but yeah, you know, they're, they're starting to get ready for Ligia and you see them starting to get more serious and you see players like Cordova, like just start stepping up. And it's so unfortunate as a Chivas fan, when you see America kind of reaching into what they have in youth players and, you're kind of looking at us like, well, what the hell do we have? You know, our, our best youth players playing for Leon right now. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it was it, it, it was frustrating, but a well-deserved win for America. The the whole Giovanni dos Santos injury. All right, that that was pretty bogus. Pollo Briseño, he he isn't the cleanest player to say the least. He he has good games and he's very intense and he's a very aggressive defender, which is something I do like. But he has a tendency to give away penalties and you know things along those lines. And just he has a, he has a tendency to just kind of get ADHD and just leave his marker. And then he tries to recuperate, and then he'll make a mistake like he made on Giovanni Los Santos. And it's like okay, he got injured. You know, if if social media, if if it was like back in the day, and social media wasn't around, I don't think there'd be such a big hype about it. I don't think he would have got suspended. I would think it would have been something where it's like, okay, well, this is the game and this is how it's played. But it's a social media and you got everybody crying online and everything along those lines. You had him issue an official apology and the image looked brutal of Giovanni Dos Santos' leg being literally... Oh, yeah. Just, it looked oh, like a gunshot, honestly. It looked it, like a gunshot wound. It looked bad. And it, it, the worst part was when you see people reporting on it, they were talking about, they're like, oh, well, we hope it's not a bone injury. That's... <laughs> <laughs> that's 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 when you know something's pretty bad. I don't think the three game suspension is well deserved. I think it should have just been one. I think Chivas have been having a pretty bad season already as it is, and this really doesn't help. Or maybe it will. Who do I, what do I know? Maybe maybe without Poyo they actually play pretty decent on defense. But I, I doubt Osvaldo Alanis can slot in and make much of a difference like he was making. So it might just get worse before it gets better. But it was uh it was a Clásico Nacional. All my family are America fans, so I can't say anything at family cookouts or any more events. So oh other than that, it was okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. All right, Rafa, we're gonna kick it over to you. Your just thoughts on the game and and uh first of all I wanna ask you, do you think the Briseño suspension of four matches was justified? Your thoughts? I think it's justified. See I'll I'll disagree with you, Nestor. And I'll tell you why, because if if he would have not why. if he would have not done what he did like that, whatever that gruesome injury, if if would have not gone to that length, it was still a red card. We agree it's a red card, correct? Or I mean, I hope it's a red card. Yeah, and, and, and yeah, that's why I say one game suspension. But Sergio Ramos does this every game. <laughs> no, but I mean, well, honestly, like to me that that is a red card, and the reason why it's a red card is because you want to avoid situations like that. The fact that it happened to me, you sort of have to send the message that this is exactly why you don't do that. Because, you, I mean, thankfully, it, it didn't get to a situation where it was really bad. 
Uh, from my understanding, he's going to be out for six weeks, probably a little more. I think they're being a little generous with the six weeks. I think that's what they said. Uh, I think they're being a little generous. It's probably going to be a little longer. But the fact that it's a red card, I mean, it's it's totally a red card. And it's a red card because you're trying to avoid situations like that. And the fact that that happened, you sort of have to lay the law and say, you know, it happened. And now you're going to get four game suspension just, you know, to tell other people that, you don't do that. You just don't do that. For me, it's fair. I mean, four games is fair. I mean, people were asking for a whole season or, you know, suspended oh, until people Giovanni were Santos. jail time. Yeah. They were serious about yeah, that. I, 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 I think that's way ridiculous. And I, and I do get the four-game suspension. And a lot of people saying it could have been less, could have been more. But at the end of the day, it was – you're right. It was a play that shouldn't have happened. No, I mean, four games to me is perfect. It, People were saying, you know, suspend him until Giovanni Los Santos is back, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, uh, you know, that's a little too much. That's like um, two seasons. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, yeah too much. <laughs> but four games is fair. Uh, to me, it's a red card. It's a red card. Uh, I think, for example, I, I put myself in a situation where Mexico is in, you know, the quarterfinals of World Cup or something. And somebody does that to, to our player. I'm like, you know, hell yeah. Like, that's a red card. Like, I don't care if, if the guy doesn't hurt him or anything. Like, that's a red card. Like. You just don't do that. So to me, it, it, it's fair. It's fair. Um, as for what I thought about the game, uh, I, I mean, everybody was expecting a clue on many going. As a neutral, it's it, it was sort of like I, I was hoping for for an entertaining game. I, I think when it comes to a classic, when you're a neutral like myself, that's that, that's the least you hope for for an entertaining game. I think we were all expecting Clue America to win. I'm sorry, guys, but uh, it was just. You know, two days on the job for Dana, who I don't disagree with his appointment. I think Chivas is going to improve a little bit. Uh, will it be enough for them to make the league? Yeah, I don't know. But Chivas is in desperate need. I mean, it's just desperate need for some consistency. Uh, I don't think they are a bad team. Uh, I don't think they have bad players. I think they have enough of a team to to compete. They can, in, in theory, they could compete for a top eight spot because they they certainly have players. I think Pulido is a good player. I think Vega is a good player. You have Risuela who's a good player. Uh, this is a good team. They, they have good players. Uh, it's just they're de- in desperate need. I mean, just desperate need for some consistency. I sort of think the front office, uh, you know, the whole drama of ownership of, you know, who's in charge, blah, blah, blah. Like that sort of has set a negative tone on the team. And that sort of passed forward, you know, that sort of passed on to to, to the actual guys in the team, the, the uh, the players themselves, sort of that negativity just uh, goes there to sort of feel the pressure, you know, the mistakes that the front office has made, that sort of these decisions that sort of not made sense, even with, in, I mean, personally, I have not agreed completely with their transfer policies, uh, you know, letting go of these young players that that you guys mentioned, like Macias, like Odines, uh, and then sort of bringing in guys, I mean, I love Pulido, I love Vega, but I never completely 100% agreed with bringing in Vega just because I think he's very similar to Pulido and then you bring in a guy like Oribe Peralta who is sort of like the guy you should have brought like two seasons ago because you know you need a number nine because we know Pulido is not a straight up number nine he's sort of a guy who who is more of a support guy blah 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 but I mean overall they're in just desperate need of consistency and and they weren't going to get that in two days Uh, I mean it was just too soon uh how their season develops it's it, you know it remains to be seen and i hope for for the sake of you guys it, it improves in terms of america what i can say is that 
they they played really well. I, I think their their first goal was it was just magnificent. They uh, they stole the ball in the midfield and the way they uh, they took apart uh, Chivas's defense just on, on that quick breakaway was it was really nice. It was very very Miguel Herrera like this new Miguel Herrera, which is a little more defensive, more uh, play on the counter Miguel Herrera as opposed to uh, the one we saw with the Mexico national team a few years back. I think Lua America. It, it, it's too early to get excited just because, with all due respect, it was Chivas. Uh, but they played a good game, and uh, they're getting players back from injury at a right time. So, uh, like you guys mentioned, they're in third place. So, they, they're in prime position to 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 be a candidate in the Liguilla once they get all these guys back to full health. Uh, and assuming they continue this this sort of, I wouldn't say defensive style of play, but this more more of, uh, you know, take advantage of the players that we have forward who who are fast, who who can sort of take apart defenses like Renato Ibarra, like this this kid Cordova who we keep talking about, who's just, you know, sort of embraced his role. Uh, I think they will be an interesting team to look forward to in the Liguilla. But all in all, as a neutral, I mean, it was okay. It was better than Clásico Regio, who, who we'll probably talk about in a bit. Yeah, we'll talk about it next. But yeah, America as a team... Um, they just have so many important pieces that can pop up at any moment's notice. Um, you know, like we said, they were struggling coming into the Clásico, like not winning a game and I think six matches. So that, as a Chivas fan, that kind of gave me hope. Like, okay, at least at least we might not lose. At least it'll be another, you know, hard-fought tie like, they've, like they're used to the past couple of seasons. Didn't go that way, obviously, but, you know, the injuries and all that had a lot, had a lot to do with it, the red cards and stuff. But yeah, America is just a team that they have so many players like Cordova who just, you know, went off in the Clásico for two goals. Um, Henry Martin, who you couldn't, he won't score for six months and then he'll pop up in a game that they need to win and score twice or something like that. Roger Martinez, who's good at times, you know, like you said, Renato Ibarra, Ibarguen can get a goal in at times. Um, so they just got a lot of pieces that, that can just pop up and take over the game at any moment's notice. And like you said, they're getting players back from injury at a good time. So, I mean, America's America. They're always going to be America. And, and you know, they're kind of, they're a team that, that competes every year and yet somehow still produces uh, young talent like we've seen in the past couple of seasons with Linus, with Cordova now, with Edson Alvarez, with, um, if you want to go as far back as Diego Reyes and Rol Jimenez. So, you know, America's America. Um, but, in, uh, talking about Chivas, we'll move on to their game that they have this uh, this next weekend against Pumas. And lucky for us, we got two Chivas fans and a Pumas fan right here on the panel with us. So as for this next match, uh, Rafa, I'm actually going to start with you this time um, to talk a little bit about Pumas' this season so far. Kind of tell us what's been going on with them and what, what, you'll, what your prediction is for the match against Chivas this weekend. Well, see, I'm... I'm always very critical of my team. Those who know me, I, I think I'll never be satisfied with Pumas. Like even if, I mean, I remember there was a season they won the title. I'm like, they play like crap. But uh, <laughs> it's they, they've had a, well, I mean, the ten of the the tendency of this season has just been, just basically the theme of this whole season. Not just Pumas. It's just been how up and down every single team has been. And I think Pumas has sort of uh, just been infected with that as well, where they're sort of just all over the place. They, they, I think it, they're improving. The, they actually beat Santos Laguna this past weekend, which is, which is important. 
Uh, they struggled a lot away from home. That's sort of been a theme as well. At home, they, they sort of tend to, to play a little better just because it's the middle of the day. It's the altitude of Mexico City, uh, the usual. But personally, I, I mean, I, I can see that there's been a just going back to just teams desperately seeking consistency. I think they've sort of found it a bit under Michel. Uh, as opposed to the last managers that that they've had, uh, but is it really like this dominant style of football where they take it up to, you know, they go head to head against opponents and they're just technically superior and you know break down guys or whatever the case may be with the more technical teams like Tigres or whatever? Uh, that is not the case. Pumas is more of a, I mean, I think they're still trying to figure it out, and I think right now they're in eighth place and that's sort of pretty accurate reflection of the team they are they're not super dominant they're not super bad they're just there and i think that's sort of what pumas has been through the course of the last few seasons unfortunately where they're just there uh it's not very exciting i know but i guess that's just pumas so i think the the two things that worth mentioning here are they're going against chivas in the estadio akron where they've already won twice through the last year i think where they sort of broke that record they where they hadn't won in like 30 years or whatever the, it was and then they won twice in a row which in copa imekis and both in liga imekis so i guess psychologically they they sort of have that boost that they know that they've already won there they don't have to worry about the fact that they they spent decades or wherever long it was without winning in, in jalisco against chivas so they sort of have that advantage but they've been awful away from home i mean just awful uh, they they won against 4-0, I think, yesterday against Atletico San Luis in San Luis. But that's been the only place where they've been able to win outside from Mexico City this season. So it'll be interesting to see if they take advantage of, the, of just how bad Chivas has been playing uh, and they managed to get something away from home. But I also look at it in a Chivas point of view where Tena sort of has had now two weeks or so with the team. So... He came out with a line of five against Club America, which makes me think he he's also desperately just seeking some sort of balance to the team. So I hate to say, it, but I'm I think it's going to be a very boring, low-scoring match, to be honest. Nestor, we'll kick it over to you with Dena in charge. He's he doesn't get 48 hours this time. He gets a couple couple more days to prepare this time. Uh, what's going to happen this weekend? I think Chivas bounced back, two-one against Pumas. Um, it's it's something I don't know. There's always statistics when it comes to teams of who just lose their coach. And as far as the bounce back game, I thought that bounce back game was going to be against America, but oh, I was completely wrong. Jesus. Um, but I can see them pulling it off in Akron, which is one of the places where they've actually played pretty decent as of lately. One of the only places. <laughs> And it's kind of the opposite as it was last, uh, last uh, what is it called, yeah. the tournament when he saw Chivas kind of suck at home and he knew a way they would, they would have a better chance to win, which is something you never want to hear about your team. But they've actually been pretty decent at Akron this, uh, this season and it'll be interesting to see what kind of tactics Denia kind of brings in and kind of seeing if, you know, is they going to stick with five in the back or 
are we going to look better than a 4-4-2 or, you know, something along those lines? And, you know, are we going to try a false nine or something more creative and inventive than what we have been doing? Because it hasn't been working. I think I'm excited to see hopefully some more youngsters in the midfield, hopefully Cervantes and Beltran. That's something that I haven't seen in a while. I don't know if Beltran's injured or not. I'm honestly not too sure, but especially with uh, Pollo Briseño out, it'll be nice to see a change there and see if we actually do better. And if, you know, four games is a long time, he might just lose a starting spot. But it's it's something to say about a team when Ponce has been one of your more consistent players, as he has been for Chivas. And I think him down that left side will be okay, as long as Van Rankin's not, you know, on that, on that that in that right back spot. I think we're feeling the reason why Pumas left him off the bus and just went to the next stadium that one day. But, um, you know, like Chapo Sanchez, I think he'll be right right back. And, you know, as long as we have Alexis Vega, I say, I say, I don't believe might not even be in the starting squad. We might see Alexis Vega and what is it called? Oribe Parata start up front. Oribe Parata just got his first goal against the uh, league true, uh, yeah. at the Central team. And what is it called? Copa MX. So hopefully it's something to come. And it was a goal where you were like, all right, come on, if you don't score this. But he buried it a little high, higher than what I would have wanted. But it was it was exciting to see. And about damn time, we got him about three three years too late. And uh, it, it and it's a shame, but, you know, he, he, he fits in that Puma jersey just as any other fan would. And it's good to see that type of representation for, you know, every single type of body out in that field. <laughs> but I think Pumas is going to bring the fight. And honestly, they haven't been the most consistent team this year. But I think, I don't know, they might be able to pull it off, though, too. But I still say Chivas 2-1 with a goal from Alexis Vega and an alto goal probably because I don't see who else would be scoring. <laughs> Well, let me pick you guys' brain out because this, this to me, like I never agreed with this whole Alexis Vega, this Alan Pulido partnership because I just think they're they're two very similar style of players. Like they're good, they they can score goals, like that's obvious. I mean, they're strikers, but they're very similar. They, I, I find it difficult, I guess, in a in a scenario where both will be effective, just because they're very very similar. So when Chivas spent big money on Vega I was like why you guys already have somebody of that sort of mold in Pulido like why don't you get somebody who is more of a I mean an Oribe Peralta who who is more of a actual striker that actually scores goals I mean he's not scoring goals right now but you know sort of a more of a number nine like an actual number nine like I'm thinking of a you know when you guys brought in Aldo de Nigris or whatever like something like that as opposed to spending big bucks on Alexis Vega. So you think they can coexist well, or is it is just going to be one or the other? Uh, I think it's one or the other. It's something that I've taken a look at, and Alexis Vega just needs more playing time, and it doesn't have to be out on the wings. I know he did that in Toluca, but I prefer to him being that central striker role, so that way he can actually... Uh, you know, especially counterattacking, he's so dangerous. And Alan Polito is just three steps behind almost. And he's a player where you see him get the ball inside the box. And like Oribe Peralta that one day, he, he can't turn around and hit that shot. Alexis Vega can. And that's what we need to take more advantage of. And, you know, Liga MX is all about counterattacking. And we got a lot of old players right now that aren't that good at it anymore. You know, Brizuela, he's he's a, he's a step slower than he used to be. So is Polito. And Polito isn't pulling out a 20-goal, you know, 
as far as uh, what is it called, uh, tournament as he used to do under Tigres. And he only did that once, so I don't even think he's ever been a real big scorer. And I think, especially when you see him in rap videos and you see him only scoring on penalties, you're like, all right, what are you really doing on the team? What are you contributing? Are you really being a leader? Or is just, you know, are you somebody that's just kind of holding a team back at this point? And, you know, Tenya coming in is going to be interesting because you don't know who, what he's going to do, basically, when it comes to the starting 11. And, you know, I don't think Polito is the leader. People kind of make him out to be, you know, but Alta's more of a leader on that team, and he just got there. So I think that says a lot. But if, but I do, I do agree with you, Rafa, that they can't coexist. It's going to be either one or the other. And Vega's younger. We paid away more for Vega, I feel like, and we just need to get Polito out of the paint, but still be respectful because he can still do something, but he can't play the role that he has played in the past three years. You know, this isn't this isn't the same team that was under Almeida. He can't he can't do all that anymore, and he's not confided in as much as he was. And you see that in his play on the field, and it's sad, but you know. You might have to do the swan song and go and play on another league on MX team, but I don't know if he can. And that's just the honest truth because, you know, with the, everything that happened with Tigres and when he came back from Europe from Greece, I, I don't know if another team's going to want him. Well, we'll see what happens on uh, Saturday. Nestor, you said you were going with a 2 1 Chivas victory? Is that what you said? Yes, 2 1 Chivas victory at the Stadio Akron, which, and, you know, usually a team bounces back statistically after. Uh, after they end up losing a head coach, but you got to give them at least a week, I think. But I, I think it's something that they will end up doing better with. And, you know, it's going to put the fire under their asses and make them play a little bit better <laughs> because all their spots are in danger. Rafa, what's your score prediction? I, I know you said low scoring. Yeah, I'm going to go with a 1-1 here. Uh, I think both teams will be happy to draw. I think Chihuahua wants to bounce back after that loss and Pumas will just be happy with getting a point away from home. We'll see what happens there. Moving on to the next Clásico last weekend, the Clásico Regio, which has kind of become kind of more, maybe not more important, but just more entertaining in terms of the talent that's out on the field than the Clásico Nacional in the past couple of years, um, or at least on paper, because uh, it was actually a pretty boring game, like Rafa pointed out earlier. Not very much going on. Tigres ended up winning 2 nothing um, with a couple of goals, one from a mistake from Barovero, the Monterrey keeper, the second one just on a corner. And and Monterrey looked just abysmal. And just for how much talent they have out there, how much money they've spent, um, they looked pretty bad. So we're not going to talk about the game that much, but we'll talk about what happened after the game. And that the biggest news is that Diego Alonso is out. He was fired. He was like the, what, 10th coach to be fired this season? I don't even know. He, he's out. And the man to replace him, everybody's saying is a familiar one to you and me, Ness, Matias Almeida. Is he going to return to Monterrey? Anybody else? Uh, Ness, what do you think about Almeida coming back? It's so funny because I literally didn't hear about this until I just scrolled on my Twitter feed around 10 minutes ago. <laughs> and I saw that, and it's all over Chivo's Twitter, and I'm seeing it, and I'm just I'm disappointed. I'd be happy for him to come back and actually do good. I think the team that Monterrey currently has is being underutilized, especially the way Tigres have been trending down. You thought that Monterrey was going to come out and just kind of make a statement, you know, and just be like, you know, this is our city, especially with everything that happened this past season with all the negativity. It was nice to see a Clásico Regio that was safe and everybody was okay. And Tigres ended up taking two goals at the end of the night and 
Guzman did what he needed to do to escape the night. But at the same time, I think Barovero is overrated. I don't think he's good as people make him out to be. And with all the money that Monterrey spent, I don't think it's surprising to see that their coach was out. I mean, honestly, they were expecting results. And they got it with the, you know, the, the CONCACAF Champions League win. But with things kind of along these lines, they want to be able to say that they won in the actual league. And I think that's what really sets a team apart when you want to make a statement where, you know, Chivas, if they, if they would have won it a couple of years ago, as they did, it's like, well, okay, they won it. But if they didn't win the season that past, they didn't win the Liga MX that past season or that season, it would have been like, well, you know, what did you really do? But, you know, if they want to cement themselves as an actual team, then they have to be in those finals and they have to compete on every single tournament, not just, you know, one. Yeah, uh, it was... It, it was it wasn't really surprising. I think I think people kind of thought it was coming because Diego Alonso really did kind of underutilize um, that whole squad. I mean, just the talent that they have, with you know Rogelio Funes Mori being one of the top strikers in in the nation. Um, Dorlan Pavon, you know, still has a great still has great games here and there. Aviles Hurtado, even though he just got injured, was a monster uh, a couple seasons ago. Maxi Mesa, an Argentine international. I mean, they have and then they have Jansen now. From Tottenham, so they they have so much. And then Jonathan so Gonzalez talent. too. Jonathan Gonzalez. I mean, they have so much out there, and for them to not be getting results, and like you said, they won the Champions League, but they've been kind of in a drought um, league-wise. They haven't had a league title in a long time, and I think that's what the fan base wants and what the fan base craves more than anything. So, you know, I, I don't think you know it was it was a, it was the right move to get Diego Alonso out. Um, in terms of Almeida coming back, uh, he wasn't it put. He wasn't putting it off the table. Last I heard, um, that he, you know, what he said in a press conference, he wasn't putting it off the table. He didn't really answer one way or the other. Tengo amigos, tengo jugadores que he dirigido y, y tengo mucha gente, obviamente, que cuando salen temas así, el primero en enterarse soy yo. Yo soy un gran agradecido al fútbol mexicano. Es un fútbol al cual quiero, al cual respeto. Y cada vez que se dice mi nombre, me, me, pone, me pone feliz, porque quiere decir que hemos dejado un lindo recuerdo, eh, pero no, no tengo más nada que decir. Um, however, you know, San Jose Earthquakes today said that there has actually been no contact between Monterrey and them in regards to Almeida. So who knows? Who knows what will happen? Um, Rafa, what do you think? Is Almeida going to come back to Monterrey? If so... How is that going to help them, or is it going to be somebody else? I think it's interesting. I think it's the the sort of move Monterrey would make. Uh, I think for a while now, Monterrey has been looked at more as a forward-thinking club just because of the types of purchases they made, sort of the resources they sort of had just because they're one of the better-ran teams in the league. They have a, they're starting to build up a, a, a really good youth system. Uh, I think they've been, for the most part, they've been doing things the right way, the quote-unquote right way, and Matias Almeida is sort of the sort of the guy who you think, well, he does things the right way. Uh, you know, he has his brand of football, which uh, we all agree is just a joy to watch. Uh, it's the you know going forward, pressing high, what we would normally think of as attacking football. That's Matias Almeida, and it's sort of in the brand of what Monterrey is looking for. Personally, I, I would have not been as trigger happy to let go of Diego Alonso, uh, but I get it. Personally, I would love to see Matias Almeida back in Liga MX, uh, just because of what he did with Chivas. Uh, uh, again, I, I, as a 
fan of that style of football. Uh, having more managers like that in Liga Mekis, I think, make the league makes the league better. Uh, it makes the players better. Uh, you know, you guys are Chivas fans. You know what he did to players like Pizarro uh, and just other players around him, and just elevate their their skill level. Uh, I think under Matias Almeida, that Chivas team, at least physically speaking, um, they were at, at their peak. Uh, I don't know what they were doing at the gym, but you know they they put in that muscle. Um, something that's very very rare in, in Liga Mekis, where they sort of people just don't really give a damn about how uh, how they, I guess, perform physically at the gym, and you know that's sort of an aspect of 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 Liga Mekis where we sort of tend to ignore. But that's a subject for another. For another time, but I mean, just coaching, fitness levels, just style of play, everything. Matias Almeida has it, uh, and I think we need more of those kind of coaches in Liga Mekis. But again, I, just overall, this is the type of manager that Monterrey is looking for, uh, and I know it's sort of ironic because they were the co- they were the the team with Antonio Mohamed as manager was a little more defensive and I think fans sort of got tired of that uh, and again the big irony here is that when Diego Alonso came in he's sort of known again more of Matias Almeida like manager which is more attacking style of play and lately he was resorting more towards a more defensive style of play even you, if you watch this classical right here you, you, I mean Tigres was the team who who had more possession of ball you saw Monterrey more of a sit back absorb pressure and play on the counter kind of thing where uh, as you guys mentioned they have players like Pizarro like Hurtado like Pavon, like uh, like Maxi, like uh, like Funes Mori, like Janssen, which is a team that on paper should be should be the one playing more like Tigres, you know, getting more possession of the ball and going forward. So it makes sense. It makes sense on all parties. Uh, the Earthquakes have a, a crucial game coming up against the Portland Timbers, and, and we'll see how that turns out. If they lose and they're out, uh, if they win, then they they're in. So. I think if you're a Monterrey fan, you're going to be really attentive to see what happens in that match uh, and what the result that what the result is. Because if they if the earthquakes win, they're through. If they lose, they're out. Um, but there is a very good possibility that if they lose, and and from the rumor has it that uh, I think they dismissed it, like you said. But uh, I mean, Monterrey has the resources to to get past any contract and convince the earthquakes. So. With the international break coming up and the possibility of San Jose going out, it's not entirely impossible that we see Matias Almeida with Monterrey in a few weeks. Yeah, and it's 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 interesting because um, when Almeida got hired at San Jose, I was I was excited to see he, how, what what he did with that team, and he ended up doing very well in his in his first season. You know, they're they're right on the border of you know qualifying for MLS playoffs, which is a great achievement considering where they were a season ago. Uh, if you're not a fan of MLS, you may not know, but I mean, they were dead last. They were the worst team in the league by far. So, and that's kind of what Matias Almeida does. He kind of, he's he's had that, you know, branded on him that he knows how to turn uh, franchises around. So I was kind of excited to see where he would take the San Jose team in a couple of years. But um, since he hasn't ruled it out, uh, a return to Liga Mekis would be, you know, spectacular for everybody because, you know, I'm obviously, I'm obviously a, a, a fan of Matias Almeida because he was with Chivas. But more than that, I mean, I think any Chivas fan just kind of, just kind of fell in love with his, with his coaching style, with his, you know, philosophies and stuff like that. So, so just him being back in Liga Mekis with, with a, with a better team, and with a team that that has, 
unlimited resources at their disposal to 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 give them to help them win. It's going to be interesting to see if if that's who Monterrey gets. There are other candidates on the table. Um, Turco Mohamed could return since he's out of a job. We'll see what happens there. Um, but I think it's going to, be, going to be really interesting. As of right now, it's up in the air. Who knows? We'll see what happens. Uh, we're get, we're coming to the end of this, but be, but before we end it, I want to talk about the the infamous chant. been heard around for decades and decades in Mexican football but now it's it's it seems like it's finally coming to an end you know I just want to ask you guys what your thoughts are on that uh Ness we're going to start with you about you know how the league and the federation is finally cracking down on all of this and first of all I want to ask you to you because this is the biggest debate surrounding this whole chant is whether that word in question is homophobic or not so I'm going to ask you is to you is it homophobic, and what do you think about all this cracking down? Uh, I might have an unpopular opinion, but I don't. I don't think it's homophobic. I, I think, and I know I'll, I'll get a lot of backlash for that. And I, everybody's entitled to their own opinion. I think I am as well. But it's just kind of something that's kind of gotten bigger than the chant. You know, the chant is the chant, and whenever you say it, people know what it refers to. I just think it's not what people think it is whenever somebody's out there saying it i don't think they're saying it with 100 percent hate in their heart i doubt there's any hate at all if you really think about mexican spanish majority of half of it is usually just cuss words and very informal and i think this is one of the things that kind of has led to that as well not only as you know culturally speaking it's it, it's another country and everything as well and it's kind of the American thing to kind of point and wag our finger at another country and tell, and tell them this is wrong. You shouldn't do this, but you know, things are different over there as it is, you know, people, people can also say that. And I, and I understand the argument for the other side that says, you know, it's wrong. It's homophobic and everything like that. And, but you have to really think about it. Who are the majority of people saying that there are people on the American side that, you know, more, more so progressives and everybody along those lines that, you know, want to see come to a stop. And that's completely understandable. But, you know, when you talk about it, it's almost as if it's another country and, you know, it's easy to say something from a different point of view. But while we're on that topic, you know, we can also talk about women's rights in Mexico and, you know, the real differences when it comes to that, because if you really look at Mexican women, it's really structured like the 1950s America. And that's something that doesn't get talked about a lot either. And I think that the Federation is being smart and getting ahead of it before the World Cup hits because we saw what almost happened in 2018 in Russia where, you know, a country that almost uh, it's it's illegal to be gay or, you know, say anything or do anything that's even anything remotely close to that. It's, uh, it's, it's something that FIFA wanted to show and kind of crack down on it, whether they do it in 2022 when we're talking about FIFA's over there wagging their finger at Qatar saying that they have to allow the women in the stadium. You know, it's, yeah, I, I think it's um, people choosing the agendas whenever they want it to be chosen. And, you know, FIFA, you know, it's crazy to think it's like we're here talking about a chant when women might not even be able to be allowed into a stadium to cheer on their own nation in 2022, which will be weird because it's not just going to be women from that country, but women from other countries and are they going to be able to show skin out in the public and you know kind of things that you know you kind of wonder what type of law that they're under over there because you know as far as state rules and as far as religious laws there isn't much much of a much of a difference but 
I kind of got away from the whole chant, but it is something that I don't think is, is offensive. And I know that might be an unpopular opinion. And it's easy for, you know, Mexican-Americans especially to kind of point their finger at a country and say, you know, that's wrong. But every every country is different. And Mexico is just currently, that's the way it is. The Federation's being smart getting in front of it. And hopefully, you know, by 2022, that kind of calms down a little bit more. But whether there's they're going to implement policies of kicking fans out of games if they're doing it or anything like that, that that's a whole other discussion that I think leaves its own subject in general. Yeah. So uh, for clarity, apparently the Federation is going to start, the league is going to start enforcing all these new uh, rules about the chant um, starting in week 15 of the Apertura. So just here in a couple of weeks. And then for the national team games, they're going to start on the October 15th game against Panama. So, yeah, um, for those of you that may not know, they're going to start um, punishing uh, people uh, essentially for using this chant with um, PA announcements, um, with, you know, those that do the chant evicted from the stadium, um, games even being suspended for five minutes or more. Um, If away fans use the chant, um, the away team is going to be fined. And uh, if, you know, the home fans use the chant, the next home game is going to be behind closed doors. So these are all kind of the new rules that are popping up. So, Rafa, I'm going to kick it to you. What do you think about, you know, these new rules that the League and the Federation of, are implementing now? And, and also the same question to you. Do you think uh, that certain word is homophobic in your eyes? Well, I think it's it's the right thing to do. I mean, it's about time that the Mexican Federation do something about it. I think a lot of people were... We're waiting for something to be done more than, you know, just some sign on on the stadium or on the little screen or whatever it was that they were doing before. And they were doing the little speeches before the game or whatever. So they're taking real action this time around. I think they they sort of got the warning and, and they know that FIFA sort of means business here uh, and they got to get to it. Uh, as for the chant itself, uh, I mean, it's a really touchy subject. Uh, I think we can all agree. To, I mean, to biggest extent possible that when people do it they're not trying to be homophobic um however if for whatever case somebody finds it homophobic then you know i understand why it needs to be stopped because it does need to be stopped but i mean as a fan you sort of and i mean i i say it in the sincerest way possible nobody's saying it because they're homophobic uh, when you go to a stadium people are just trying to have fun um should they stop doing it? Of course. Uh, but do they really mean to be homophobic when they say it? No, they don't. I mean, we all agree that, that people say it just because you know, they're trying to have fun and, and it's just something that picked up. Uh, unfortunately, some people find it homophobic and we sort of have to respect that. But at the end of the day, it, it's sort of the right thing to do for the Mexican Federation. Um, and I think overall... I think the criticism towards FIFA makes sense because there are a lot of things that go on and FIFA just sort of turns a blind eye on. Um, and I think maybe as journalists or other journalists, they should do a better job at, at sort of exposing those things that FIFA do. Uh, and certainly, I think with, with Qatar, there has certainly been a little bit more about that, sort of uh, asking for transparency of these issues and sort of stuff like that. Uh, as it pertains to Mexico, like I said, it, it's yeah, for whatever reason, it, it's about time that, that the FMF do this. Um, and just to to sort of go over that as well, I also do think that sort of the the narrative that that is built around the whole chant and 
um, just the Mexican way of thinking, because I think it, it's one thing where, uh, well, I, again, I reiterate, it's really important that the, the Mexican Federation is the one coming up with this initiative for whatever reason, FIFA or whatever, because I think just with our culture, it's really weird just how it works. Because I think if in our culture, if somebody tells you, you shouldn't do this, uh, we sort of have the tendency to just do it more, you know? So I think it's important that it's the Federation that says it, you know, let's just stop this. All right. Like it's enough. All right. Because if it's FIFA that says it, or if FIFA for whatever reason comes up with a statement and we just make a big deal about it, people are just going to do it more. Because that's just the way we are for whatever reason. Like, that's just how our culture is. So the fact that we're trying to sort of tackle this problem internally, I think is the right way of dealing it. Personally, do I think it's going to stop anytime soon? I don't. Is it going to take kicking out people from the stadiums? Uh, I mean, that's a little extreme. I don't know how they're going to do that. But I think it's a good thing that we're sort of taking sort of an initiative internally like I said, and it's the Mexican Federation leading the way. Again, I, I don't think it will be eradicated anytime soon, but we'll see. How about yeah, you, I mean, Antonio? What do you think? And what are your thoughts? Same question <laughs> to you. It's uh, I know it's a touchy subject, but it's something, I don't know, it's something that we should have be able to have a more open conversation with because Mexico culturally is different than any other planet in the world. I mean, planet, wow, is late. Uh, <laughs> any other country in the world. And uh, we do handle things differently. And when somebody tells us not to do something, we're like, fuck that. <laughs> right, no, exactly. For some reason. That, yeah. That's what we saw in the World Cup. You know, you know, FIFA would would keep, would keep, you know, threatening the Mexican Federation. You know, all stop, stop them from doing it, and then people would just do it more. Now, it's it's definitely it's definitely a conversation, and like this, you know, the situation with the chant, it's definitely something that has a lot of depth to it. Um, or uh, because you know, I agree with you guys. When people say it in the stadium, it is not. I agree that it's not to be homophobic. They're not calling the opposing goalkeeper or anybody on the opposing team um, gay or anything like that. Like it, it's not, it has nothing to do with that at all. But then also that comes back to, a, um, to, you know, a, a bigger discussion about, you know, Mexican dialect and, and why we even say that word so much in the first place um, when we're talking about, you know, negative things and stuff like that. So there's a discussion to be had there too. I personally don't, I wouldn't care if it disappears. Like, I think it's definitely something that needs to be stopped just because it's become such a big bigger issue worldwide. So if it leaves, I'm not going to I'm not going to lose sleep over it. I'm not going to call, you know, FIFA, you know, monsters for, you know, you know, infringing on some rights or whatever. Um, but I think it's also important to note that, you know, there's a little bit a little bit of hypocrisy going on with FIFA as to why the, you know this, you know, Mexican chant is now known worldwide you know it's it's known just as that as the mexican chant um, and everybody knows what you mean when you say that and it, it's just become such a big deal but you know look at where we're playing the next world cup in qatar in a country that you know, is as homophobic as they come you know not uh the, a that, country you know, where you get stoned if you end up finding it if people find out that you're home if you're actually you know gay yeah exactly so you know um it comes back to that a little bit and like why are we holding it in there in the first place if fifa cares so much about uh, you know everyone's rights as they should um 
you know, it's kind of weird that this, that, you know, the World Cup was never moved and stuff like that. So it's definitely a touchy subject. Uh, I think overall, I think it's, 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 it's good that they're doing this now. And like Rafa said, it's good that they're doing it internally and the Federation's kind of getting ahead of it and taking the initiative and being like, okay, we'll take care of it. Um, it's just going to be interesting to see because, you know, like we've been talking about, when people say don't do it, people do it more. So are we going to actually see games close to the public? Are we actually going to see people being thrown out? And what's the reaction going to be there? That's I don't know, but it's going to, don't mean to cut you off, but it's just going to be, it's going to be, I don't know. I just imagined a whole bunch of Federation officials sitting down in a room watching the game and they're just like, they fucking said it again. Write that down. <laughs> Yeah, and we uh, that's kind of been the, the biggest discussion with uh, during these past few weeks of Liga Mekis. All, all everyone's been talking, oh, did they say it? Did they say it? Oh, did they say it this time? Oh, it's kind of gone down this time. Oh, no, they said it. You know what I mean? It's just been so uh, observed. So I, I don't know. It's going to be it's gonna be interesting to see how this whole thing plays out. It lets you know um, when, uh, when, when the ball is being kicked off, though. You know, you get up, you go get a drink or something, and you're doing something in the kitchen. And in the back, you hear it, and you're just like, oh, okay, go kick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just, that's how ingrained it's been. So, but like I said, if it goes away, that's fine with me. It, it's, it's, it's something that, uh, you know, needed to be gotten rid of one way or the other. So, we'll... we'll... I think... My my thing when it comes to it though is like, are you guys doing it because you just fear further repercussions, or because you guys are being progressive? And I think if it was you know the latter, then it's something that they would have been implemented. But I think it's the FIFA pressure that's really getting to them, which which is right for FIFA to do, because uh, you know as far as you know on a Mexico cultural basis, I don't think it means anything. But you know when you take it out of Mexico's context, if a lot of people do see it as wrong, but it's kind of mm-hmm. like, are you guys just doing this because it's the popular opinion at the time, or are you doing it because you? actually care it's kind of like that america jersey that was like pride but it wasn't official but they were just trying to appeal to you know to 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 different uh thing and i'm just like well that's just pandering at a certain point yeah yeah no definitely but anyway that's gonna that's gonna do it for the end of this episode as always this has been the fmf state of state of mind podcast before we head out uh rafa tell the people where they can follow you at so you can follow us at fmfsom on twitter uh, you can follow my personal Twitter at Rafa Rambles. Um, yeah. Nestor, how about you? Again, you can find us on FMF State of Mind as well. And for my tw- personal Twitter, it's Nescavelli. And that's N E S Q U I V E L I. And yeah, if you ever want to hear any bogus hot takes on not only Chicago, but Las Chivas or, you know, uh, Liga Mekis as a whole whenever I get a chance <laughs> and you can follow me at Antonio1998 double underscore that's two underscores at the end and yeah that's going to do it for this week guys uh, you know like we said we know it's been inconsistent but we're going to try to keep it more consistent from now on uh, but anyway yeah thanks for listening and uh, we'll see you next time guys <laughs>